let's jump right into this. I, I think it seems good to God that I should speak along the lines of Sabbath rest, uh, unveiling God's um, economic plan. Um, and I think um, the conversation is going to be over two Sundays, so uh, this Sunday and I think n- next week as well. Uh, so we can really pace um, ourselves and give God room to entrench in us um, understanding. Uh, and, and so I'm going to be speaking today along the lines of what I call a land with a flow. A land with a flow. Deuteronomy chapter 11, I just want to uh, push to us about five different passages of the scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 9, maybe we can read from verse 6 just to have a bit, a bit of context. And what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the son of, sons of Eliab, the sons of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, their households, their tents, and all their substances that was in their possession in the midst of all Israel. It's very scary. But that's not the point. The, 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 I think the point starts from here. But your eyes have seen every great act of the Lord which he did. Verse 8. Therefore, you shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong. The essence of keeping commandment is that you come into strength and you live in strength and you live by strength and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess. And now verse 9. Verse 9 says, And that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers and to them and their descendants. What was the promise to your fathers? A commitment to give your fathers and their descendants, which is you and even your children after you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Same Deuteronomy chapter 26. I think we can read from verse 7. Same book of Deuteronomy chapter 26. Then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched hand. With great terror, with signs and wonders. And verse 9, he has brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The book of Jeremiah chapter 32, I think we can start reading that from verse 20, Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 20. You have set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt to this day. And in Israel among other men. And you have made yourself a name as it is this day. Verse 21. You have brought your people Israel out of a land. And The conversation we've been seeing in the three passages of scriptures we've read. It's about God taking the children of Israel out from a land and giving them another land. And it seems as if beyond their experience of bondage and slavery and servitude, they experienced in this land, that was a problem. But another problem also was this 
type of land was not befitting for God's people and he wanted to give them something better. So there wasn't just only a problem with the difficulty they were experiencing. There was also a problem fundamentally with the land on which they were living. Okay? And so God wanted to give them a better land. Right? You have brought them, your, your people, Israel, out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand, and with an outstretched arm, and with great terror. And verse 22. You have given them this land. And this land is actually an oath, is a result of the oath that you swore to their fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. And then finally, uh, the book of Leviticus chapter 20. I think we can start reading that from verse 22. Leviticus chapter 20 from verse 22. We're going to hit verse 24. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them that the land where I am bringing you to dwell may not vomit you out. That land is an active land. It's a living land. That land is so spiritual and it's so alive. It's not just solid ground. It's not just, it's not just loamy soil and clay soil and all kinds of soil. It, it's a spiritual land. That land is active. It, that land has... Things flowing in its veins. That land is a living land. And that land, there's a way you can live on that land that that land can reject you. And, and so it makes sense because he was bringing the children of Israel out of a land and he was bringing them into this land. But actually, there are people already inhabiting this land. And this land actually rejected them. And God said, I'm going to reject you as my tenants. <laughs> And I'm going to bring another tenant or another people that will find a living and I will find habitation in this land. And he was warning the people that are going to replace the former tenant. You really have to be careful. You really have to be careful to live by the statutes and by judgments and by commandments that I give to you today that you perform them. That the land where I am bringing you to to dwell may not... Vo- and one of the things Pastor Dami was saying when um, he was introducing... Um, um, uh, this, uh, this message wasn't that the, the question isn't actually about the faithfulness of God. It's a question of are we living in such a way as to take advantage or as to be able to live in and enjoy the faithfulness of God. And God was telling these people there's a way you can actually live in this land that your, your experience does not typify what abundantly flows in the veins of this land. Because this is a land that flows with milk and honey. That the land where I'm bringing you to, uh, to dwell may not vomit you out. And, 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 and we're going to verse 24. And you shall not walk in the statutes of the nations which I am casting out before you. These tenants that used to live there, I mean, these are the people that we call Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, and all the Jebusites, and all the ites. The, the, the problem was that they fumbled their opportunity upon this very land because they were living by principles, ordinances. They were living by operations that was inconsistent. You know, it seemed to me, it seemed to me, it seemed to me that that geographical region called the present-day Israel in the Middle East. Um, I don't want to sound too spooky. Right, uh, but, but it, sound, it seems to me from these promises 
that there was there was an attention of heaven beyond any other place upon the face of the earth that, that was upon that geographical region. I'm not saying God is not in Nigeria and in Africa. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm not saying God is not in America. But why was God speaking so much about a geographical region? And, and, and he, he defined the boundaries. He defined it from the, the rivers of Egypt up onto the boundary of the, of the rivers of, 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 of Ethiopia. Sorry, not Ethiopia. Uh, River Euphrates. It, it's a specific geographical region. There was a day, a patriarch, uh, after he had stolen blessing from his elder brother, and his elder brother Esau wanted to kill him. I'm talking about Jacob. His elder brother wanted to kill him. So his father and his mother advised him, look, we understand why you did what you did, and we actually feel um, that this is the doing of the Lord. Remember, when their mother was pregnant with the twins, she had so much difficulty during pregnancy. She cried to the Lord. Other women get pregnant without issues and give birth. You know, you know the Hebrew women? <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's, it's... People give birth, you know, go through pregnancy and give birth casually. Why, why am I having so much difficulty? Why am I spending weeks and months in a hospital? And, 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 and the Lord spoke to her and said, the reason why you're having so much difficulty is because you carry twins in your womb and these twins actually represent two nations. And they are going to be at loggerheads with each other. But it's so predestined and determined in heaven that the elder brother, there are two sons, the elder brother is going to serve the younger brother. So it was based on that prophetic word that God gave to, what's the name? Rebecca, sorry. I, I usually confuse Sarah and Rebecca. Sarah is the wife of Abraham. Rebecca is the wife of Isaac. It was because of that prophetic word that God gave to Rebecca that the younger, you know, in Yoruba, in this our African cultural stuff, they'll be like, ah, Ogo, Ogo Aburo Ematon, Jueglolo. You know, I may have come from homes where some prophets have caused all those kinds of troubles. So they highlight that one, <laughs> one of the kids is going to be the most prosperous and it breeds jealousy. But that prophetic word sort of introduced bias and prejudice into the heart of Rebecca. You know, she was always just always focused. She just loved that young I mean, I mean, she's an investor. You want to pitch your stock, pitch your investment with the stock that, you know, that will rise the most, right? So when the two of them came out, unfortunately, the first son, that is Esau, looked more industrious, was more hardworking, was more resourceful. You know, would go out into the forest, get the best of meat, bush meat. He was known, he was loved. You know, imagine when you're coming back to the village with antelope and all those kinds of stuff. You are the, you are the, you are the, you are the dondada. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So, but, but the other guy was just a plain man. It was, there was, he didn't have any extraordinary skill. He wasn't even a macho like that. Esau was a macho, very hairy guy with biceps and triceps and you look at this this one is going places but if you look at uh, jacob jacob is so effeminate so domestic when other people are talking about how they can go to the forest you know and, and and look for game he's talking about mommy can i help you wash plates so he, he wasn't he didn't have a future in that <laughs> in that sense but but rebecca because of that prophetic word pitched her tent with the younger brother, because according to the prophetic word, this one is going to be the stronger nation. Uh, Esau is going to be a strong nation, but this one is going to be stronger. So strong that the elder one would have to serve this one. So she was pitching her tent. So when the conversation about taking blessing came into it, she, she played that role 
in that scheme because of that prophetic word. And so uh, when Jacob stole that blessing and uh, Rebecca advised him, look, this guy is strong. For the fact that you are now the one carrying the blessing doesn't mean that you now have biceps and triceps. This guy is still going to kill you. You have to run. And Jacob ran, ran from his father's house and ran and was running towards his um, uncle's um, house. Uh, unfortunately, the uncle's house is in Syria, which is thousands of kilometers away. But he just needed to run as fast. And you know, Esau is a man of, of, of the forest. He knows, <laughs> Esau knows all the, all, all the routes. So he, he just was running. He ran from morning and ran till a time where uh, the sun set and it was really dark. He couldn't continue in the forest. So he just, he just stumbled upon a place. He looked for a stone. Let me just get this stone, use it for a pillow. And then once the sun is up, I will continue my journey. And while, while he just set himself down and dozed off a bit, he broke into a vision. And in, in the vision, he saw the Lord in heaven. And he saw a ladder reaching from heaven down to the earth. And he saw that there were angelic activities moving up and down the ladder. And the first statement he made when he came out of that vision is, the Lord is in this place. Now, he wasn't saying the Lord is with me. Of course, the Lord was with him. But Jacob was more particularly referring to that geographic location. Then he dreamed and behold, the ladder was set up on the earth and it topped reached to the heaven and there were angels of God who were ascending and descending on, you know, on that ladder. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I'm the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land. There, this land, you've I know you are traveling to Syria, but you stumbled upon a geographical location. This land on which you lie, I will give it to you and your descendants. What's so special about this land? Also your descendants shall be as dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I'm with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to, I'll bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken to you. Verse 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. So it seemed as if of all the geographical regions on the face of the earth, there was something very particular about this land of Canaan. And, and I showed you from scriptures, from, from, from Genesis to Exodus to Leviticus, to Deuteronomy, even up until Jeremiah, I showed you that God kept re referencing that land, that there is something I did to that land. It's not just an ordinary land. It's a land that I, I breathe life into that land, and that land has a flow. It flows with milk, and it flows with honey. And I'm so jealous about that land. I'm jealous about the inhabitants and people who live on that land. And if you're not careful to live on that land by principles that are consistent with the principles of God, I would eject you from that land. And that was what he did to the generations of the Canaanites. He took them out and he told Israel, come and possess a land that has a flow. Now, it looks to me that the original intent of God is that mankind should live and operate in a space that has a flow. What do I mean by this? You see, this 
after the fall, God chose this geographical location to demonstrate this principle or to model this principle. But before the fall, what God chose was a geographical location called in the eastern part of Eden where God planted a garden. Can we quickly go to it? Genesis chapter 2 verse 8. Before the fall, God had modeled this type of land that has the flow. But because, of course, after Adam fell, let me remember that story, after Adam and Eve fell, one of the things God did was that God banished them from Eden. So in quotes, in principle, that land that God planted in the book of Genesis chapter 2 verse 8 could not be accessed anymore. So after the fall, what God intended to exemplify by this garden, and we're going to read it uh, quite shortly, because that model was quickly cut short by disobedience, and they were banished from the Garden of Eden, God had to do part two, <laughs> or, or, you know, uh, series film, uh, series two. So series one ended um, quite abruptly, without the, without the lessons of that um, model being explicitly displayed for us. We, we didn't have too much story, uh, too much reference in the scripture, and we didn't have too much account in the scripture to tell us how Adam and Eve interacted in this garden. So God said, you know what? Okay, not a problem. Uh, series, series one has ended abruptly. I've banished you guys. Even now that you guys are in the fall, I'm going to step into the corrupted and the fallen world to still choose another geographical location and I'm going to anoint that location with the flow. And, I'm, and I'm, by, by different nations, that is first the Canaanite generation, who were later driven out, and now the Jewish generation, I'm going to show you how man ought to live. So these are models. So but the pre-fall model, or the pre, yeah, the pre-fall model was uh, the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 2 verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden. Remember, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So it wasn't Eden alone that God created. God created the entire earth. But in chapter 2, God now said, okay, I created the entire earth, but I, I want to model a principle, and to do that, I need to seclude for myself. It's just like in Yaba, there are, Yaba is a you know, residential, well, both residential and commercial. But have you seen certain areas that are quite, you know, fundamentally re residential and yet some streets just decide to gate it and they call themselves estates. You know, it's, it's an estate within, and in fact, in Omole estate, Omole is an estate, but if you enter Omole estate, there are, there are 30 estates inside of Omole estate because three streets can just band together. So let's agree. <laughs> Our own is Dideolu estate inside Omole estate. And so this, the kind of things God did. God said, yes, I created the heavens and the earth. The earth is a massive landmass. But I, I want to model something. And to be able to model that, I'm choosing Eden. Thank you. I'm choosing Eden. And not just the whole of Eden. I'm choosing a portion in the eastern part of Eden. So the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. What's about this garden on the, on the eastern part of Eden? Now, look, look, carefully look at this garden. And out of the ground that is in this garden, the Lord God made every tree to, to grow. You see, 
One of the things the Lord is clearly showing us is before man came into, into this garden, there is something God did to this garden that provokes growth. You know, it, it, it's, it's easy for us to start looking at this garden after Adam got to the garden. Say, uh, it, was, it was Adam. Uh, it was Adam. Remember that day now that Adam went to cultivate and to plant. But before Adam came into this place, there was something God, in quotes, infected this garden with. This garden had a flow. It had a flow that made trees to grow. And not just any kind of trees. These are trees that are pleasant to the sight and good for food. This garden had so much flow that it was this garden that even produced the tree of life. Of course, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil uh, was also there. It wasn't, sir, it wasn't the effort of Adam that was nurturing the garden, the earth of Eden to produce fruit. It wasn't the labor, it wasn't the toiling, it wasn't the tilling. What was responsible for productivity of that land is the flow that existed in that land. Have you heard this thing before in the New Testament? Paul may plant. Another man by the name of Apollos may water. But there is something fundamental beyond the effort of Paul and beyond the effort of, of Apollo that causes the increase. He said, God give it. I planted Apollos came after me and did some more work of labor by ensuring that the land was well watered. But it really doesn't matter. God wants us to plant. God wants us to water. But the real factor that matters in this land is the flow that this land has to produce increase. Verse 10 of Genesis chapter 2. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden and from there it parted and became four river heads the name verse 11 the name of the first is Pishon it is the one which skirts the whole land of Avila where there is gold can you see that this flow that existed in Eden even beyond producing food that was good for sight for food it also had ability to navigate the terrains of gold and produce gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bidelium and the onyx stone are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hidekel. It is the one which goes towards the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Can, can, you see, can you see that it was the flow that God put in Eden that was responsible for all things good? Now, after that flow had been in place, verse 15 now says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to what? Tend it. And what? Now, the challenge is that man was now placed in the Garden of Eden. You can now begin to think that it is your tending and your keeping that is responsible for productivity and fruitfulness of the land. No, that's a mistake. 
the reason why your, your land yields is because God has put in it a flow. And, and be, beyond this design, I, I believe it will have been the will of God and the desire of God for, for stories, you know, for accounts, for history to be written about how the generations of Adam lived in this land, prospered in this garden. But this experience and experiment was cut short by the fall. So when they fell and they were banished from the Garden of Eden, God said, okay, I'm going to step into the arena of the fall and I'm going to do another experiment again. And that's why God started with the experiment of the land. They called it the land of promise, the land of Canaan. It's an unusual land. It's a strange land. It's a land that has a flow. Are we together? Do you understand this? You know, I said I titled this message, A Land with a Flow. When the children of Israel settled in this land, after God had given them strength to conquer their enemies, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and all the Ites, and they settled, they settled, they were building houses, and they were planting vineyards. It was because when they came into that land, when they were at the border of the land, God told them that, I'm going to stop, I fed you for 40 years by raining food for you every morning. The name of that food is called manna in the wilderness. So God told them, uh, you're about entering that land that has a flow. And because that land has a flow, I'm going to stop raining upon you that manna. So scripture recorded that the day that they were at the border of entering into the promised land, the Bible recorded that manna ceased. And manna has to cease. It really doesn't matter big why. Because they are entering into a space right now that has a flow. And one of the instructions God gave to them, then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of this land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they of the food of the land of Canaan that year. And that was from that point onwards, manna ceased. And one of the instructions God gave to them through Joshua and through Moses was that when you get to this land, you must be an agricultural people. The same instruction God gave to Adam that we read in the book of Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 and God put the man whom he had formed in that garden that he should what? Tend. Thank you. And keep it. So it was the same instruction, same experiment, same instruction that I gave to them. That now you have to be agricultural. You need to learn now the principle of seed. You need to learn the principle of time. You need to learn the principle of harvest. And so there is a way, sir, there is a way that we can get so agricultural. And so diligent with this agricultural practice. That after some time, we begin to have an idea that the reason why year in, year out, we're having consistent harvest is that we are planting and we are working. We, we can, it, it's very, it's very, you know, remember the day you got, you got filled with the Holy Ghost. It was a spontaneous flow of the Spirit. There was just a gushing out. You couldn't hold yourself, but it was clear to everybody that it is not by might. <laughs> It is not by power. But right now, if I say, can we just begin to pray in the Holy Ghost without thinking, without 
Say, now nah, I want to pray. Help me, help me. You just start. Rabadia, Kabarashti, Rafi. So we start get we start getting to a point where maybe we are this flow actually starts from us. And that's why for some of us when we're praying the Holy Ghost right now, it it it, it, it has lost its potency. Not because it's no longer potent, but somehow we've become so used to it. It's become so casual because it is readily available to us. Like, like, like they say, you never really know the value of a thing until you lose it. So God knew that there is every tendency. And that's why God told them. He said, in that day, when you enter into the land, you shall remember the Lord. <laughs> they have not entered, but God had already started addressing the issue of forgetfulness. It's very easy to forget. Like, for example, God, is, God has been so faithful. I don't know some of you. But I can tell you for a fact, God has been so faithful to you. He's so good. He's so faithful. But yet some of us are grumbling. Yet some of us are complaining. You know why? We, we take certain things. The fact that you are here, the fact that you can see me, the fact that you can hear me, it's so casual. It's so, it's so until you start having problems with hearing. And then they say there's an anointing that can restore hearing. So you now realize, eh, so... This thing that I think is normal is actually being powered by something that is very spiritual. As it is written, God upholds all things by the word of his power. But we don't actually see things as being upheld by the word of his power. I mean, the sun goes down, the sun rises, the sea, Lagos Lagoon doesn't exceed its boundary. Until, the, until you start reading places like Psalms, where the book of Psalms say that it was actually by the command of God that the waters don't go past their boundary. We shout... Uh, it used to be bad beach before. What are the name of our beaches now in Lagos? So we are going there. We are going there to have beach time. In fact, at times we even have church retreat, church on the beach. We are able to enjoy church on the beach because there is a commandment of God. But we don't see it as that. We just say no, 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 no. That there's actually a, a scientific explanation why. <laughs> so there is every tendency for them to forget. So in the book of Leviticus, chapter twenty-five. God said, okay, to address this issue of forgetfulness, in this land that has a flow, there is something I want to institute that is crazy, very radical. And I'm going to read it to us. And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai saying, verse 2, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into this land which I'm giving you, the land, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you will tend it and you will keep it. And six years you shall prune. That's what it means, so until. But in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. Now, this instruction in Leviticus 25, 1 to 4, the reason why it's not radical to you and I, sir, is because we are not fundamentally farmers. And not just, the, the fact, not just is it the fact that we are not farmers, but another challenge with us being able to understand how radical this instruction is, is that we are living in a country that is not fundamentally an agrarian economy. You know, we've lived off, off oil and gas um, for decades, and we keep talking about divestments, but it remains to be seen, you know, that that is really happening in a very serious way. 
But if you tell, if you tell a farmer that six years you will farm, on the seventh year, don't sow, don't reap. To a farmer, he automatically sees you as an enemy. Because what you are simply telling me is that you want to finish me economically. Because if I don't sow, the issue of sowing is a function of, it's not just a problem of today. It's a problem of the next harvest cycle. Now, it simply means that if I consume all I have now and I don't make provisions for six months or for 12 months or nine months or 12 months time, when 12 months come, I'm going to have a problem because there is not going to be a harvest. And not just in 12 months, but also there won't be seed in 12 months time to also secure the next cycle. And if there is no seed to secure the next cycle, then there is no successive cycle anymore. It just simply means farming, drought, and death, and annihilation. So this instruction is so radical in terms of it, it presents danger to human life. It also presents the danger of economic sab sabotage to the entire nation. Literally, God was saying, literally, it will appear as if God wanted to kill them and God wanted to finish the entire nation. That's how radical this scripture is. But God said, I mean what I'm saying. In the seventh year, I don't want you to sow. I don't want you to reap. I don't want you to do anything because I'm going to show you that for the first six years that you were sowing and reaping, it appeared as if it was your sowing that was bringing the harvest, but I want to show you by a miracle that you cannot walk, yet the earth can yield, because the earth does not yield by your labor. The, this earth, this land yields because it has, oh my God, it has a flow. Now, this instruction is very radical, but God said, I even want to give you a more radical instruction. Verse 5, Tani. So what's the first instruction? Six years work, seven year, seventh year break. So it's called the Sabbath year. What grows? Look at verse 5. Be, you've not sown, you've not done anything, but there are going to be the land is going to begin to grow of its own accord. <laughs> Look at verse 6. So, how many of us got the first radical decision? The first radical decision is work it for six years, seventh year, don't do anything. But there is an even more radical decision. This is the even more radical decision. And you shall count seven Sabbath of years for yourself. So, what does this mean? Um, six years and then the seventh year is Sabbath. So, that's the first cycle. But God is saying that, I want you to, I want to do another experiment that you count seven Sabbath years. So, seven times seven so in 49 years so the first cycle is six years work seventh year rest eighth year you do that up until the 13th year and then 14th year rest and repeat that from 15 to 20 uh, 21st year rest do that up until you get to the 49th year now the 49th year is a sabbath year in itself is that is that right because it's a multiple of seven right so that means from year 43 up until year 48 you shall walk you shall sow but in year 49 per the instruction of the first experiment you must make it a sabbath year okay 
Now you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years. And the time of the seven Sabbaths of, of years shall be to you 49 years. I mean, this math is very simple, okay? Verse 9. Now, on that Sabbath year, that 49th year, of course, what is the instruction? The land must rest. Then you shall cause the trumpet of Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout your land. Verse 10. And shall consecrate the... F- now, this, this is the second radical instruction. Not just the fact that you must observe Sabbath on the 49th year. I want you to observe Sabbath on the 50th year as well. So, unlike the other cycles where you have six years of work, one year of break... In the multiple of seven cycles of Sabbath year, you are going to observe not just one, but you are going to observe three years of Sabbath rest for the land. In fact, God has finally finished us. Very radical. And he shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land, throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be jubilee for you, and each one of you shall return to his possession, and each one of you shall return to his family. That 50th year shall be a jubilee to you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine. 12. For it is the jubilee. It shall be holy to you, and you shall eat its produce from the field. In this year of jubilee, each one of you shall return to his possession. Verse 14. And if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. According to the number of years after the jubilee, you shall buy from your neighbor. And according to the number of years of crops, he shall sell to you. Verse 16, according to the multitude of years, he shall increase its price. And according to the fewer number of years, he shall diminish its price. For he sells to you according to verse 17. Therefore, you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear God, for I am the Lord your God. Verse 18, so you shall observe my statutes and keep my judgments and perform them. And you will dwell in the land in safety. Verse 19, then the land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and dwell there in safety. 20. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year? Since we shall not sow nor gather in our produce. Then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year. And it will bring forth produce enough for three years. So so effectively, God was basically saying that what was producing your field, even though I commanded you to tend it and to keep it, fundamentally what was working your field and producing your field was because I had put in it a flow. And because there is every tendency that I'm bringing you into this land and I've commanded you to till it, you can begin to think that it was your tilling that is sustaining productivity. So I'm going to punctuate in seven cycles and in the seventh cycle, I'm even going to make it a lot more elaborate for you to pause and do nothing so that you can observe. It's a lesson. God was trying to teach them that it is actually not of him that will it, nor of him that run it, but it is of God that shows mercy. God was addressing by these experiments the tendency of forgetfulness and we do forget a lot. And that's why I love so much the accuracy of this this hymn. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, Name them one by one. It will shock you. (laughs) It will shock you. 
and, and, and you always seen in scriptures God speaking about remember. 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 I, I, I think it was in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8 where he said, and you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he that gives you a flow. The problem is that your participation is a requirement in the flow, but it is not the reason for the flow. So God modeled this flow thing before the fall. We didn't enjoy it so much to see how it plays out. Man was banished from Eden, so God decided to experiment with Canaan. And I'll say this before I wrap it up. Why did it take God 40 years of delaying their entrance into that land that has a flow? Why did it take God 40 years? It took God 40 years because he needed them to arrive at an understanding. Someone say an understanding. Now, if we don't have that understanding we won't be able to engage this land with a flow Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3 let's quickly look at that why did God delay them for 40 years and they were going in circles it was because they they repeated that class in year one and God says in my in my university there's no carryover you take that course again so they took it in year two they failed there is no carryover they kept they kept repeating and repeating on, up until the 40th year. And eventually when it seemed as if they had gotten the lesson, God now gave to them, don't think I'm a very bad vice chancellor. The reason why I allowed you so much time to finish this university of the wilderness is because without this understanding and certificate I'm going to issue to you, you are going to fail when you get into that land with the flow. So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger. And fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might teach you and make you know. You must understand that man shall not live by bread. What is bread? Let me tell you what bread is. so simple. Now, bread is not a plant. Can I hear amen? You need to... What's the original material for bread in those days? Wheat or barley. They said wheat bread. Is it the, which one was the bread of the poor? The, one of people in Ikoyi eat one, and people in uh, uh, in Ajegule eat one. But you are, those are the two ways in which you make bread. Okay, so you are either taking wheat or barley, and you are making it into a dough. And that dough, at times you can decide to leaven it if you want to make it agege. <laughs> if you want to make it puff up, or you can be you can make it an unleavened bread if you want to make it flat and the shawarma uh, type of wrap. Okay? But bread seems to speak about a produce that is a product of the engineering of man. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a culinary product. Alright? It's, it's, it's something you take a raw product and you process, process, process to be able to produce the final product called bread. So the meaning of man shall not live by bread alone simply talks about 
what sustains and what is going to sustain your land is not a function of your ability to put two and two together. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? And so God was saying, look, I'm bringing you into a land that has a flow. And you must understand that it is this flow that produces. If you don't, if you don't appreciate that, if you don't have an understanding and a perception that it's this flow that produces and you think that you can only have access to the things that you produce, that is bread, and the things you make happen for you. Now, listen, listen. I'm talking about, when I'm speaking about bread, I'm talking about that thinking of yours that feels, uh, I have an uncle who is the director in, who can speak for me and make recommendations for me. You know, it's so, it's so funny how this thing works, how God gives you a word of prophecy. And the next thing you are thinking about is, uh, how can I use bread to make this come to pass? You see, God, God told Abraham at the age of 75, that I'm going to give you a child. But there was a problem with that promise. The problem with that promise was that Abraham still had culinary skills to be able to make bread. So when it, it felt as if God was delaying in, in, in by his flow. Because it is of it is of faith, it is of grace that how did he put it? That it might be by it is of faith. That it might be by grace. So when Abraham figured out that this grace thing is not flowing to be able to actualize that which God promised, Abraham engaged his culinary skills. He went into Agar and produced bread. And the name of that bread was called Ishmael. And God said, look, Abraham, I don't have a problem with your bread, but I'm still telling you that this bread you produced is not what I promised you. So, why did God delay for 25 more years? Because God was waiting for Abraham to lose his culinary skills. In practical speak, God was waiting for Abraham to become impotent as a result of old age. Because Abraham was still potent. Now, at 75, uh, Sarah had hit uh, menopause. So, Sarah didn't have culinary skills. Sarah couldn't produce bread. But Abraham was still potent. He could still produce bread. And he did actually produce bread. But God said, that's not what I'm talking about. It has to be, it is of faith. So that it can be by grace. There's still a child of promise. And for that child of promise to come, I'm going to wait till you lose your skills. And scripture recorded that when the body of Abraham was now dead. God waited. God was waiting. God... Abraham said, God, I'm waiting for you to fulfill your promise. God said, no, 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 no. I'm waiting on you to lose your skills. <laughs> and what I'm actually saying is that there are things we can make happen for ourselves in Lagos. Oh, no, 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 no. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're a man. I don't know you understand. We can, we can press buttons. We, we can make things happen. We can make things happen. But, but what we are, the conversation we are having is that there is actually a blessing of the Lord that makes things happen that does not have sorrow to it. That's what we are trying to explore. And the fortunate thing, Solomon, is that it's not something God is going to do for us. It's something God has already done for us. And I'm saying that we can't live in this land by the principle that the Canaanites lived on this land with that led to their eviction. 
God evicted them, said that they're living by force principle. And so that's why when God was going to bring this tenant in, he allowed them to stay in this school of the wilderness for 40, for 40 years. Please go back to that Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. He allowed you to hunger and fed you with this manner that you did not know nor did your fathers, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. Now, he didn't say man shall not live by bread. He said by bread alone. That's why I said that in this land with a flow, God requires your participation, but don't assume your participation for the reason why this land has a flow. So the God said, Lulu, I actually need your culinary skills in some sense. And that's why you see God anointing Bezalel, God giving people skill. That's why, that's why in this place, some of you, you can't just help yourself. It seems as if you are one with your profession. You know, I, 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 started, I started a business 15 months ago. And I have a co-founder. And anytime my co-founder gives me a suggestion, let's Fortunately for us, my co-founder is not, um, does not have an executive and operating, is, is, not, is not part of the day-to-day running of the business. Because he has, he's a, he's a big man, he's, in fact, he's, he's not even Nigerian, okay? He has other businesses that he's giving him plenty of money. So just, I'm sure in his mind, when we started it out, he believed in it, but, <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Let's see. Okay, but anytime he comes and he gives, and because he's way ex- more experienced than I am, I mean, this is a 50 something year old man that has worked all over the world, he's an Indian, he's well connected. But anytime he gives me an advice about the direction about the business, I, I always don't feel it. I always don't, because I feel it's going to make me make us tangent off and explore a path that I didn't feel was the direction. And in the past 16 months, I've taken, of course, I've taken uncountable decisions. And from time to time, I'm always asking, why is it that my decision is always right? I feel like I am the map. You know, I, I, I feel like God has done something to me that it's as, if, it's as if the map of the business is in me. At first, I used to be very shy telling my co-founder no. Because I feel, maybe you feel uh, he doesn't have a say, you know, like let him have his way. Like Laban and like Jacob, both of us now, we have now found out that the Lord has blessed us <laughs> because of my sake. <laughs> so anytime he wants to give an advice now, he will just say, just saying. <laughs> just saying. Hallelujah. But, but it's as if you are the map. Some of you are so anointed doing what you are doing even naturally. You know, it's, it's, as, it's because God needs your bread. Why was God giving Paul, Saul, who later became Paul, why was, it, why was God giving him speed and success in his, in his legal career? It was because God needed that. God needed his mind. God needed that legal mind to be able to document uh, the principles and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, uh, the doctrine of the New Testament. Hallelujah. So God needs your bread. But man shall not live by bread alone. And you must never sip into a place where you feel that it is your bread that is giving this flow. Man shall not live by bread alone. But how shall man live? Man shall live by the flow. (laughs) Man shall live by every word that proceeds. 
There is something that is flowing from God that is giving this land its vitality and its productivity. So in the New Testament, the book of Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6 verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, do not worry about your life. Because one of the ingredients of, of bread is that when you are making a dough, you are swelling, you are, you are, you are turning. I mean, have you been in places where you want, to, you want to achieve things and your mind, and that's what worry does. You're going over it again and again. Don't, God is saying, don't, don't sweat it. Because actually, your bread alone can produce. Which one of you do not, I say, I, uh, I, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor, what you, or, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than raiment? Next verse. Let's just read it to verse 33. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into back. Yet they have a flow from your heavenly father. Are you of not more value than they? Verse 27. Which one of you by worrying can hurt? Your bread cannot produce. Cannot produce by its... Thank you, sir. Your, bread, your, your worry cannot produce. Your bread cannot produce. Increase. One cubit to your stash, verse 28. So why do you worry about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither turn nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? And this littleness of faith, the operation of this little faith is a function where we forget that our land has a flow and we have more, we have more confidence and reliance on our, on our culinary skills to produce bread. Verse 31, we're going to verse 33. Therefore do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For all of these things the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows that you have this of this need of these things. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will flow. There is a flow of God that can engineer, engineer the increase and the additions of these things. He didn't say seek first the kingdom of God and then go sow and produce your bread and God will blow upon it and yeast it to become a gay bread. No, he said they will come as a flow. And that's why God can punctuate the agricultural practice of the nation once every seven years and three years in every seven year cycle. That really doesn't because God is teaching them. Don't ever forget. It's not your ability, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Finally, the book of Numbers chapter 16. And this is where we're going to start, start from hopefully uh, next week. Numbers chapter 16 verse, verse, let's read from verse 10. Um, I, I, I think this is a crisis where uh, some, some people were, were insubordinate to, to Moses. I've, I've, I've forgotten. It. Well, I'm sure we'll pick. We'll... Korah. Yeah, thank you, ma. Verse 10. And that he has brought you near to himself, and you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you. And as, are you seeking the priesthood also? I'm so sorry. I just want us to go fast. Verse 11. Fine. Verse 11. We're going to verse 12. Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you complain against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan. Okay, these are the guys. Dathan and Habiram, the son of, sons of Eliab. But they said, we will not come up. He said, no, 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 go, go, go get out. And why wouldn't they come up? Look at what they said. Look at what Dathan and Habiram said. They said to Moses, is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk? 
What, what land were they referring to? They were referring to Egypt. <laughs> now, this is the problem. They look at, oh my God, oh my God, thank you. They were looking at the product to define the principle that engineered the product. But God, thank you, Lord. In Egypt, they had cucumbers, they had garlic, they had melon, and those, they mentioned some other very fantastic meal that they, they had. They had products, but what was the principle that produced, produced the product? Servitude, slavery, bondage, affliction, pain. Do you understand what I'm saying? So they looked at Egypt, they said, Ah, Moses, you've done us bad thing. You've taken us from the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in in this wilderness. That you should keep acting like a prince over us. That was the accusation against Moses. But it's so funny to me that they looked at slavery, bondage, hustle, toiling. And they looked at that as milk, as a flow. And the blessings of God, engineering productivity, they could not see it. And this is where we're going to pick it up from next week. But this is what I'm saying to us. God experimented with Eden. That experiment was cut short. God experimented again with the land of Canaan. And the reason why God did these two experiments is so that the church, that is you and I, might understand this principle. Because the real thing that God is experimenting for is what is said in the book of Matthew chapter 6. Do not think about what you eat and drink. For your heavenly father knows that you have need of these things. I'm saying to you, the governing church, Yaba, your land, that is your life, has a flow. Can we rise to our feet? Just go ahead and pray this morning. Just pour your heart before God this morning. De la la husse kele prekala la la ba shataya la la ba makele le presofira da ba le no siya kaparusa le le tadia omeke de presofala la ba shata e ne kuza fresifa la ba 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 la la ba shata ne talobrike de debo la pa la ba la ba oh I receive the opening of my eyes I receive a new understanding not again never again when I look to slavery will I look to toiling Will I look to the arm of flesh and call it the land flowing with milk and honey? I shift my gaze. I shift my gaze towards the land that God has made for me. I am content in the land that God has made for me. Hey, Open my eyes, Lord. Let me see. 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 Open my eyes, Lord. Give me understanding. 
we pray for a new understanding, O God. Hey, Yasilia, Prince of Fila, Tiria, Jasomi, Nikalambredo, La Daya Pashata, Hey, Natosa, Frisia, Dekili, Posolia, Lady Baba Shantaba, Lady Tatola, Bila, Prasovia. Haratade, Hatu Vela Sila, Prikelebari, Lata Shatalaba, Yeketel, the Prisovila, Texilia, Kunda Babarabalaba Shata, Mite Tavi, Hasovaleti, Haitio Crossovra, Ila Babrata Shata, Le Patun de Letascude, Ruto Bobobobo, Letadia Prosovia, Linia Cashata, Lelebolobo Shata. That you will open our eyes, oh God, that you will bring a new understanding, that you will bring us into rest. You will bring us into rest. You will bring us into rest. We will have a shift in our mindset. We will have a shift in our understanding. We will know and acknowledge and accept that man shall not will shall not live by bread alone, but our sustenance come from the word that proceeds out of your mouth. That you are our sustenance. You are our sustenance. You are the glory and the lifter up of our head. Intolerable For the Lord is a shield unto me. My glory. The one who lifts up my head. You are the one who lifts up my head, O oh God. Not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Hey, Yasia Kondela Mapron Satan, Yentia Procedia Tetelikanda, Mentoladia, Eshata Lebabrotonen, the Lebosata. Hey, Frasu, Ilabacata, Yalebo Shata, Ebalabocon, and then Prusu Valite, Yetulu Prusu, Letakiba Polotaya Lebalabashata. Oh, thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, we're afraid. Finally, we're going to ask God, whatever needs to die, must do what? Must die. You know, I can imagine when Abraham thought he was waiting for God. And God was what? Was waiting for Abraham. God needed Abraham to lose his ability because Abraham had vested his trust in what? In his ability. And as long as that trust was in his ability, he was going to hamper the agenda and the program of God. Some of us need to shift to this morning. Are you hearing me? What is delaying harvest is that you have not made the shift. Interesting, that was what God spoke to us yesterday. How many of us remember? Those of us that were at the workers' retreat. What is delaying the harvest is what? We have not made a shift. Because this has to be by the hand of God. Not by the harm of flesh. Are you hearing me this morning? So we are trusting God this morning for spiritual migration. We are trusting God this morning for a change in our system for a change it will not come by toil anymore i hope i leave it to you that business i leave it in your hands father i leave it to your hands my career my work my life i leave it in your hands 
the promise that what you have spoken to me that that i'm waiting for i leave it in your hands lord i trust you i do not trust in my own skill i do not trust in my own strength i do not trust in my own way nor in my connection i trust you lord i trust you i trust you i trust you so i put my trust in you proverbs 35 say trust in the lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding this morning lord we choose you hey rabba laba we choose the way of the lord we choose the way of the lord we choose the pattern of the lord we choose you lord we choose you lord we choose you lord, we choose you, lord. Hey, for the way of the Lord is the way of wisdom. We choose the way of the Lord. Come on, sing that with conviction. For the way, for the way of the Lord, oh, is the way of your heart and surrender for to you for the way for the way of the is the way of wisdom is the way of wisdom we choose for the way of the lord for the way of the lord is the way of wisdom Choose the way of the Lord. I 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 choose the way of the Lord. For the way of the Lord. For the way of the Lord. Oh, is the way. Sing it one more time for the way of the Lord. Come on, turn into a prayer and say, Father, I choose your way this morning. I choose the way of wisdom. I choose the way of wisdom. I choose your way. 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 I choose the path that you have set for me. I will not follow the path of the world. I will not follow the path of pressure. I will not follow the path of toiling. I choose your way. That which you have allocated for me is enough for me. The life you have given me is enough for me. I choose your way, Jesus. I choose your way. I will not do it the way of the world. I will not do it the way. I will not follow the way of sinners. I will follow the way of wisdom. I choose the way of the Lord.
Father, as a people, we choose your way. As a company, we choose your way, Lord. That this church will not rise by the arm of man. We will not toil under the sun. But we will rise by the grace and the flow that you have provided for us. I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice. Whether here or listening online. That you will find and you will connect with the, your land that is flowing with milk and honey. In the name of Jesus. And you will come to recognize that you are not living by bread. But you are living by the word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ. And that the Lord will give wisdom for you to follow his way and his will and his pattern. In the name of Jesus.